Thankfully, we don't have to start this episode with, well, there wasn't really a lot to talk about because... Uh, <laughs> I don't know which is worse. We, it's like been a week and a half since our last recording, which is, we usually do it within a week or even less time, and we picked the longest, most action-packed week and a half to just chill Yeah, and watch the stuff that we had to talk about accumulate. Yep. <laughs> no, it's been fun, though. <laughs> um, why don't we start close to home? And by the way, you're listening to Tipping Pitches, and this is Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. I'm never going to feel good about doing that. I, I hate saying my name out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't we start close to home for you? Yeah. Uh, so the A Stadium plans fell through. I mean, we talked in detail about this last time, just about the way that it might affect the community, um, what were the benefits and drawbacks of it. So we won't rehash all of that. Um, we'll link to that old podcast. But just quick thoughts about this plan sort of falling through and, and where they go from here? Yeah. So basically uh, I will say that like they had three options um, and it was like build at the A's current site, build on the water or build on the uh, site of this community college, which is their preferred site and the one that they've been working on. And like um, a few days ago, completely out of the blue, yeah, I, I had think, not been hearing any whispers, rumors at all about this. Um, I just sort of thought that it was business as usual. No, and I think that it really um, blindsided the A's as well. It was like the board of directors or whatever came out and basically said we're... The board of directors of the A's or of, no, of the college? No, of the, like, of the college. Okay. Um, it was like their like trustees or whatever um, came out and basically said we are stopping talks with the A's on this and we are just focused on whatever is going to be the best decision for the community college and the students and the faculty going this is forward. This such an anti-NYU move. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. If, the, if the Mets were trying to build a stadium on NYU property. Yeah. NYU's like, like, how much we get? <laughs> <laughs> NYU would be like, can we build two stadiums? Yeah. <laughs> one for you guys, one for us? Yeah, let's talk numbers. Let's talk money. <laughs> um, so this was, I guess, on the one hand, disappointing because... As an A's fan, I am really hoping to see a new stadium in the next few years. On the other hand, this was not my preferred destination, as we talked about. Like, I think you chose what on the water, right? On the water, or even frankly, at this point, like the place where the Coliseum is right now would be the fastest one because it's like they're ready to do it. There's nothing there. And so what? So is there? I'm not familiar because I've never been to the Coliseum. Never been to Oakland, still have to do that. Still have to come out there and do a West Coast baseball tour with you. But anyway, that'll be a future podcast at some point, probably. Yeah. Live from every West Coast baseball stadium. Be this fun. is tipping pitches. Yeah. I don't yeah, know where we're is, getting all this money. This is our project going forward, right? Is we we're gonna <laughs> record from like uh from like all thirty baseball stadiums. Yeah, we're gonna write a book about it. Yep. We got big plans for tipping pitches, man. Big plans. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, like, is there enough room there to like construct a stadium while the Coliseum still stands? And like be playing in the Coliseum, or would they have to like relocate the team to like a a smaller site while the new stadium is being built? I think that they could probably. They are referring to it as shovel ready, so they could probably 
st- I mean, obviously you'd have to like construction terms, make, <laughs> get the preparations ready. But like there is a lot of it is parking at this point. So parking would become an issue, but you could would like it? build this day. Are there enough people trying to park there for their games? Wow. <laughs> I mean, so think about it this way. The Warrior Stadium, which is right next to the A Stadium, that's, you know, that's going to be gone in a couple of years. Rip. And I think that they could probably just start building it right next to the stadium right now. So, like, you'd have to do a lot of, like, toxic waste cleanup by the water and, like, building infrastructure. Like, that's the one that has access to public transportation and there's parking there. And it's not their ideal spot for, like, the downtown ballpark because it's kind of out of the way. But I don't know, man. I'm just disappointed because I was looking forward to see some progress on it. I mean, not everyone gets the downtown ballpark, right? No. Like, the Mets park is not a downtown it ballpark. It is not the downtown it's ballpark. It's like, you take the seven line, according to John Rocker, through Beirut, and, frank- <laughs> and you get there. And frankly, like, the downtown ballpark, so to speak, is largely, like... Problematic. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> slang for, like, how do we make the most money off of this sort of thing, right? Like, how do we, quote-unquote, revitalize the community? Yeah, how do we gentrify this place? Yeah, which is, like, what a lot of these owners want to do. And I understand part of it is, like, an accessibility thing, but it's just, like, how do we make a beautiful ballpark that will rake in loads of money and get rid of all the people we don't want? And that's what, like, this Laney College plan probably would have done is get rid of a lot of, like, immigrant communities who live around there. So, so I what know, you're man. telling me, this is a good thing, man. I guess. I mean... <laughs> sort of a lose-lose situation. It is a lose-lose situation. My hope is that, like, I know that Dave Caval, who's the president of the A's, said a few months ago that, like, there's no plan B. Like, there's no plan B behind this, which is... That's first just, of all, uh, why would you say that? <laughs> what? That's so dumb. That's me writing a paper. <laughs> <laughs> starting at 40 minutes before it's due there really is there's there's not, not, even, <laughs> not even time for a plan b <laughs> i don't know so we'll see this is i think thrown a whole wrench into the plan they wanted to have something up by like 2023 we'll see what that means hey well on the bright side if the a's need to cut cost do you know who's available for a cheap contract who's just trying to prove himself our man rafael palmero oh yeah <laughs> In this week's bizarre news from ex-steroid users, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> from Jimmy Trena in Sports Illustrated, he wrote about Palmero is apparently trying to make a comeback, even though he is very famous for uh, being caught up in all the steroid, uh, the steroid issues, and he testified in front of Congress and all this stuff. But he wants to come back, basically to prove that he can still play. Um, he said, there's no doubt in my mind I can do it. I've taken care of myself really well. I've been working out for years. Everything feels better than when I played. And he still feels as though he can rake. How do you feel about that, Alex? Do you think he can rake? Hot take? Nope. But There's wait, no way. Does this quote from him change your mind? Maybe 12 years later, I can prove to the whole world that I didn't need anything to have a good career. <laughs> Maybe 12 years later, if I can come back and prove I don't need anything as an older player with an older body, that is what happens when you get older. Your body also gets older. Then people might think, okay, <laughs> maybe he didn't do anything intentionally. God, I love that he's just doing this to be like, no, you guys, trust me, like I'm innocent. <laughs> like I really, I really can't stand the slander to my name. That's what people are going to think just conveniently. Okay, maybe oh, he didn't do anything he didn't intentionally. Cheat. 
People don't care about things that happened two weeks ago. They're going to care about things that he testified in 2005. You are going to come out here, look awful, and it's going to convince people even more that you definitely did cheat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was saying to you before we recorded the show that like, when A-Rod came back from his year-long suspension, he sort of he had a really good year. He hit like 30-something home runs and had a bunch of RBIs, and he proved that he could still hit and sort of like... Uh, I don't know, like recuperated his image a bit. And then the next year he was just bad. Like he was, he couldn't hit anything. He could only hit fastballs. He sat dead red. His, his reaction time was not good enough to hit to, you know, look for a curveball and then react to the fastball, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this, but like old people aren't very good at sports. Yeah. Like there you hit a wall. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about Jamie Moyer, but like, okay, you can be a wily vet in and around the strike zone until you're like 50 or however the hell old he was. Yeah. But like you can't react to a 99 mile an hour fastball. And this baseball, not the same baseball he was playing. It is absolutely not. He is going to come out here. going to come here and throw a 103 mile an hour fastball to him and he's going to be like, yep, uh, Yeah, he's going to get in front of Syndergaard and be like, oh, so this is what we're doing now. Never mind. (laughs) God. Yo, you know who else wants to get back on the baseball field though? Please tell me. Our man... Jose Canseco. <laughs> can we can we just play this clip real quick that he tweeted out the other day? Yeah. Derek Jeter, it's Jose Canseco. If you're looking for a manager, I'm the man for the job. Oh. Okay, well. Man, he made his pitch. Yeah, he was really. Six seconds, it's Vine, man. Yeah. It's also, the new generation. Also, he's wearing A's gear in this. So he's just respect. sitting in like the A's locker room or something. I don't even know. Um, I feel like isn't Jose Canseco the one that's been going around and playing in like indie ball yeah. for like two-week contracts just to like see himself hit home runs again yep. dude looks absolutely jacked yeah, in that is. video if, we'll link to it but my my man has been hitting the roids still yeah he never stopped on like day well he wants to be a manager but on day one they just test him <laughs> well you know what he it is the marlins so they may ask him to just get out there too. player manager yo isn't, isn't barry bond still there too or is he in san francisco now i th- i don't think bonds is there anymore okay yeah. well fact check we'll see but how many steroid users can you have as hitting coaches for your franchise that you just cut everyone and have a $55 million <laughs> payroll? Talk about a dumpster fire. Oh, my God. And he just wants to get Mattingly out of there, too, who has, like, a year left on his contract. You know, Jose Canseco, I respect it. I, I respect like, the balls. If I'm Mattingly, like, you, dude, just you can pose as me, like, for the next year. <laughs> yeah, Mattingly's like, please, like, Derek, <laughs> listen to him. By God. Uh, uh, okay. Well, how about how about these uh, these Marlins? Yeah, speaking of the Marlins, so we didn't even mention the name John Carlos Stanton yet. Um, we also didn't mention D Gordon yet. The Marlins are really um, they're really selling house here, man. Yeah, so John Carlos Stanton straight up garage sale, and they're selling all the old family albums. John <laughs> Carlos Stanton is a Yankee. Just let that sink in. Can you give me a sec. John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge don't say it again are hitting back to back. Oh, if that wasn't enough, oh, after them comes Greg Bird and Gary Sanchez. Yay. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> this was like the most boring possible move. Yankees that, gonna Yankee. That could have happened. Remember, so we had like a while back, we had Russell Steinberg on, and he's a huge Yankees fan, and he low-key tried to convince us that the Yankees weren't that evil after all. Oh and coming God. off the t- 2017 season, they were really likable, really young. We were like, yeah, man, you know, they're not an evil empire. Severino, Judge, like all this personality, Didi. Gary Sanchez, El Gary, that's my man. And 
Now they just go back to doing we this bullshit. Up. They just hired guns. We and Carlos it. Stanton's going to come in and hit 68 home runs. Ugh. 69 home runs? One more? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. I'm drive by thoughts on this. Yankees are going to be good. Like I don't know. What do you? What are you? What is your take even on this? Like the Yankees are going to be good, and the Marlins are going to be bad. And the Marlins, uh, we talk about this um, a little later in the episode with our guest. But it's like, what does it got to be like to be a Marlins fan? Oh yeah, Th- by the those way, of them who exist. We have um, Lindsay Adler. Deadspin staff writer um, writes a lot about baseball for them coming on later. So stay tuned. It's a great interview. It was really fun. But in the meantime, yes, there's not really a take to have on this other than that Giancarlo Stanton is just going to hit a shit ton of home runs for the Yankees and it's going to be miserable. Yankees fans are so insufferable. It's going to be even worse next year. D. Gordon is a Mariner. Yeah. He's going to be like their center fielder. Yeah. So they're trying to, con- they're going to try to convert him to center field because you can't really ask Hall of Fame players to move positions. And Robinson Cano is at second base for them. And that's where D. Gordon has been playing. And Gene Segura is a short. <laughs> and like, you know, if we're talking Hall of Fame players, <laughs> um, his- I don't think that D. Gordon can play shortstop. <laughs> he, you know, he used to, though. He, he came up as a shortstop. Yeah. But, Usually when you get moved to second base, it's for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, at his, Jose Reyes, at Azdrubal Cabrera. Well, yeah. Um, at D- basically every player who's played shortstop for the Mets f- since Jose Reyes the first time. D. Gordon's like agent came out and made a really like subtweety statement about how the Mariners like didn't even ask if he wanted to move to center field. They just traded for him and told him he was going to do it. And th- the statement read something like, uh yeah, we'll see how this goes because he really likes playing second base. So uh and D really wants to thank the Marlins. <laughs> what a uh what a strange thing to do as an agent. I mean Jerry DePoto, much like the Yankees are gonna Yankee, DePoto is gonna DePoto and he's just gonna move players around like their chess pieces and fit them in later. And they're still probably gonna be like eighty and eighty two. So take that for what you will. Yeah. They were really in for Otani, man. Oh god. Yeah. So Speaking of which, the the final thing on our uh, on our list of things we need to talk about before we get to our interview this is, is actually like a speed round. Yeah, really. This <laughs> we is gotta, like we gotta move through it. <laughs> this uh, is one of our speedier intros. Shohei Otani is an angel. What it, the hell? It happened. What the hell? <laughs> I just like didn't even see this coming. At no all. one did. I'm so excited by it. Yeah. No. Remember, like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Remember, your tweet was so stupid. <laughs> Show hike, Troutani. <laughs> Send tweet. Um, do you remember during Taking All the Way, when, on the Bicoastal episode, during Taking All the Way, when I said that I thought that you said that the Rockies were going to make a run to the World Series, and I said that the Angels were going to get hot and make the playoffs? I was just like a year ahead. Yeah. You know, they're going to get hot in 2018. I didn't say when they were going to get hot <laughs> and make the playoffs, so like, come at me. All right, but this opens up a conversation that you and I were having um, last night about what is the impact that Otani is really going to have, right? He's only one guy, and he is obviously being hyped as, like, the Japanese Babe Ruth, and he throws as hard as Noah Syndergaard, and he has, like, Aaron Judge power, but, you know, it's like, what is, what's Otani really going to do? How much does this change? the Angels' chances for next year. And so, I don't know, quick reactions on on what you think this means? I mean, okay, so don't get me wrong. I'm really excited about Otani. 
it's obviously the right move for every franchise except the the Marlins apparently didn't mm-hmm. even put in a pitch for him. I love that. I respect it so much. It's like not even showing up to take the final. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's obviously a brilliant opportunity to have an excellent player under team control for the minimum. You know, more power to the Angels who had a true connection with Otani, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, but I just think... I think we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves for how good he's going to be, how fast. They're having a conversation on Effectively Wild, the most recent episode just this is basically we just like have a conversation with Effectively Wild um and they just don't hear our side of it. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like so Ben was saying. <laughs> well, literally. So what they did, they were having a conversation and it was basically like they went down the war leaderboards and decided whether they would want to trade this player for Otani right now straight up. And, you know, obviously they wouldn't play, obviously they wouldn't trade Trout, you know, and then Jeff posed Carlos Correa and laughed at himself and was like, no, I would not trade Carlos Correa. And then the next player up was Aaron Judge. And Ben like really wavered on this and said that he would probably do it. And I get that he's a two-way player and I get that he's a ridiculous prospect who throws like 100, sits 98 and also has crazy power. But I just like, he's still a prospect, right? Like prospects don't always turn out. And prospects don't make Aaron Judge-type impact most of the time. The example that I brought up to you was Ahmed Rosario was the number one prospect in baseball last year, just like Shohei Otani is now. And and Otani might be a more clear number one than Rosario was um, last year before the Mets called him up. But, like, the Mets called up Rosario, and he's, like, supposed to be the real deal. He's, like, very highly touted prospect, and he basically did nothing for them. So I'm not saying Otani is going to do nothing, but... The long history of baseball tells us that most players don't turn out to be Aaron Judge. And and they were wavering over Chris Bryant, and they were wavering over Corey Kluber. And I just, like, these guys are all proven in the majors. And I know Otani has ridiculous raw potential, but, like, he's never played baseball in America. I mean, it, it's an interesting exercise because, like, Japanese baseball is considered, like, somewhere between AAA and and the major leagues right on a so, holistic level though like you don't know how one player is going to react in that spe- in that small sample size right That's but what I'm, I'm trying to say. no but i'm talking about like talent level and you know how you perform against whoever like a lot of players who come over from japan make the transition a lot easier than like from triple a to the majors right just because it's a it's less of a step up not to mention he's only 23 whereas a lot of guys come over when they're 27 28 otani it's Kind of weird to think that, like, he could come over and get better, like, yeah. over time, right? Like, we may not see see the best of him right now, which is kind of wild. As a hitter, for sure. He'll definitely yeah. get better as a hitter. Yes. As a pitcher, I mean, it depends on his health. But... Right. Yeah. I'm not saying he's going to, like, add a couple miles to his fastball. Good God. Miles per hour. <laughs> throwing, he's a Rawlis Chapman as a starter. So it's interesting because, yes, he is a prospect, but... I understand, like, how tantalizing that is, right? Especially, you know, the point I was saying is, like, I would not do this if you're already, like, a shoe-in for the playoffs, right? If you were the Yankees, if you were the Astros, I'm not going to trade one of my best players for this prospect because, like, I don't need him. If you are a team... Imagine being able to say you don't... Imagine being able to say you don't need Shohei Otani. Right. Well, and it's and it's less... It's Friggin that privilege. and... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's less that and more like, would I give up a lot to do it, right? If you're a team who's like kind of wavering on the verge of contention, but like you're not really sure, it's quite the lottery ticket to take a chance on. But the sky is like the limit for him, which is pretty wonderful. 
It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be fun to see him playing on the same team as Mike Trout. <sighs> they literally open against the A's at the Coliseum <laughs> because, of course, I think Ichiro made his debut against the A's, too. And I'm do just you think, like, um, why do you do this to me? Do you think he'll be the day one starter? Probably not, right? Who else? Garrett, <laughs> like Garrett Richards? Richards? Who I, made, like, a handful of starts uh, at the end of last season? Well, I mean, he'll be, like, a year and a half removed from Tommy John, and he's their best pitcher. Yeah. And I don't know. I, that's a lot of pressure. I guess it's against the A's, so it's not <laughs> it's really not that, that much, much pressure. pressure. <laughs> it probably depends on how he does during spring training, too, right? I mean, if he comes out and he's looking a little rusty or, like, it's he's not adjusting as well as it would have hoped, maybe they give him a little more... Um, what if he's just like Noah Syndergaard and Bryce Harper in one player? Exactly. I think that's what all of these people are thinking, right? It's like, what if? That was a genuine moment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we just had a very reasoned conversation about Shohei Otani. Now let's move to the tabloids coverage of Shohei Otani yes. snubbing the Yankees. Yes. We're continuing with our, uh, <laughs> I think this is the second installment of our dramatic reading <laughs> series, reading from um, this bad takes. Yeah, this one's more of a vignette, yes. more of a compilation from the two uh, New York tabloids. Yeah, once again, the uh, the New York Post and the Daily News coming through. <laughs> okay, so the very reasonable Daily News uh, cover when Shohei Otani decided that he wasn't coming to the Yankees. Oh, God. Large letters. What a chicken. Subheader. Japan star snubs Yanks. Fears big city. God. So <laughs> this, is, like, this is why everyone hates Yankees fans. This is why everyone hates them. Okay. Article by John Harper in the Daily News. A headline. Yankees finally know how other teams feel after Shohei Otani shockingly spurns the Bombers. <laughs> Wait, it gets I better. I love that. <laughs> For once, there was nothing the Yankees could do to sway a free agent. Their money couldn't help them. Their championship <laughs> tradition didn't matter. Their location in the great city of New York turned out to be a non-starter because Shohei Otani apparently wants to play on the West Coast. So this was the rare case when the Yankees must have felt a little bit like the Kansas City Royals or the Minnesota Twins, helpless to land a player they desperately wanted. Damn. They had to be shocked and probably a little bit insulted. The guy wouldn't even take their meeting. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine like Brian Cashman like sitting down in that meeting with Otani and being like, bro, 27 rings. And he's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> no. Um, speaking of Brian Cashman, I'm glad you brought him up because... Brian Cashman, listen to this. Um, this one's from the Post. Just a just a quick excerpt on the basically the breaking news story that when when Otani announced that he wasn't gonna take an interview with the uh, with the Yankees. Brian Cashman's quote: "We have been informed that we have been eliminated from the Otani sweepstakes." Cashman said after rappelling down twenty two stories dressed as an elf. <laughs> this was like that weird thing where he does that. He rappels down a building for charity every year. And it just so happened uh, that the Otani news came out as he was dressed as an elf repelling down a building. I didn't realize that. I thought this was a really weird metaphor this writer was trying to take. I was like, oh, we all know the famous simile repelling down a building dressed just like as an, an elf. elf. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, next up in the Daily News. Yankees informed they're out of the running to land Shohei Otani. Comma, Mets also eliminated. Whatever. <laughs> um, this one was by Peter Bott. Uh, the Babe Ruth of Japan is not coming to New York. The Yankees already have been informed they will not even be among the teams invited to make an in-person pitch to free agent Shohei Otani, GM Brian Cashman revealed on Sunday following his annual rappelling down the side of a building as an elf during the city's <laughs> tree lighting ceremony. First of all, what a nut graph. The Mets are also out of the running for Otani, according to an industry source. First of all, they're spelling Otani wrong. Then, 
as a whole paragraph, the writer thought, this is a good sentence. Bah humbug, indeed. <laughs> what? <laughs> we have been informed today that we have been eliminated from the Otani sweepstakes, so we are out, Cashman said. He just, like, took a a line about Christmas, like, tangentially related, and put it in there. That's like being like, yeah, the A's aren't going to get Otani either on the night before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Not a creature is stirring in the A's front office around Shohei Otani. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, because then, later on, or, or in a different article, basically just like a, a recap of what the Yankees president, Randy Levine, had to say about um, Shohei Otani. Yankees press surprised by Shohei Otani snub. Quote, not everyone can play in New York. This article was by Christian Red. So here's the lead. Despite Brian Cashman putting together what Yankees president Randy Levine called, quote, an incredible presentation for the CAA representatives of Shohei Otani, the Japanese two-way star told the most famous baseball franchise, quote, bah humbug instead. Really? Did Shohei Otani really say that? Wow. They were like, "Uh, we have a great presentation for you. And Shohei Otani, who does not speak English, (laughs) who is represented by CAA, said on the phone, hey, Brian Cashman, bah humbug. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're so desperate it's amazing I, I really love it though honestly I like just how much they're reaching it, I don't know it brings me joy I'm like yes now you know what it's like like they're right now they do know what it's like to be a fan of any other baseball team <laughs> okay, no, they th- can't always get what they want this is like when um, like a rich NFL player is like for some 10 minute ESPN short is like I'm gonna pretend I'm homeless this is not what it's like, okay? <laughs> this is not what it's like to not be able to sign a fucking free agent. No, but I, but it kind of is, isn't it? I mean, they just got John Carlos Stanton. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay, <They're> t- too spoiled. <laughs> and then from the New York Post, also quoting Levine, Otani would have been great here, but he isn't the only player in the world. That's so sad. What a sad thing to say. He isn't the only player in the world. <laughs> this is like when you get dumped and you're like, actually, no, I'm dumping you. <laughs> and then. From um, the wonderful Joel Sherman, Shohei, uh, headline Shohei Otani's shocking snub leaves Yankees scrambling for plan B. Well, they found a pretty good plan B. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a paragraph from that one. This will be the final one. They will maintain the brave public face that they are still a good team, and they will now pivot in another direction. But one Yankees official admitted to being, quote, bummed. And even that is an understatement. Well, if that's an understatement. I'm... <laughs> so how are you feeling about this? Oh, I'm pretty bummed. Oh, my heart. <laughs> For there was such buildup in anticipation of this player coming to the Bronx that it actually feels like they lost the rights to someone who was never even in their employ. Oh, my God. Well, okay, hang on a second. No one was sitting here being like, yes, I am certain he's going to the Yankees. Everyone, it was agreed upon that literally every team, again, besides the Marlins, had a shot at signing him. I don't understand it. Basically besides the Mets, too. Yankees fans are so entitled. Oh, my God. They're the most entitled people on earth. Yeah. God. Okay. Well, now that we've done that, I (laughs) feel... Without further ado. (laughs) Making fun of the Yankees, I feel a lot better. So when we come back, we'll have Lindsay Adler from Deadspin. And uh, it was a great talk. So I hope you all enjoy. Yeah. All right, so we uh, we are here in the studio. 
Uh, I'm excited for this one, Bobby. Yeah, me too. I feel like we're just becoming a guests podcast. Yeah, I think it's like, what, almost three straight? I don't know. It's probably better off. People can't put up with our bullshit. Yeah. Uh, we're here with Deadspin writer and Twitter user extraordinaire, <laughs> Lindsay Adler. Lindsay, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's awesome to have a guest in the studio. Usually it's over the phone and we're like very awkward at the beginning. We're like, hey, could you hear us? Like, what's going on? Yeah, we don't have to worry about any, like every time Bobby and I like have to leave the studio and like do test phone calls, it's, <laughs> it's very awkward. Yeah, this is a lot easier for me too. Yeah. How's it going? How are you, how are you doing on this uh, boring baseball offseason Sunday? Mm, pretty cold. Already <laughs> tired of the winter. Yeah. Uh, not sure how I'm going to survive another six months of this, especially if the off season is dead going forward. So, yeah, is it better or worse that all the hot stove stuff kind of happened on like back to back days? <laughs> yeah, it's like done. I don't <laughs> know. It's like it's like efficient, and it's like nice because I don't have to keep thinking about stuff to say about the same waiting game. But at the same time, like I don't know really what's at stake over winter meetings right now yeah there's only so many times you can be like all these teams pitched otani and now we're just waiting right right <laughs> well we right. have we do have jerry depoto to keep things lively just um, which will be nice him. his podcast yeah. is going to be so sad now I know. i'm really worried for him yeah i didn't know he had a podcast until like five minutes after that d gordon trade yeah. he had a podcast up about it i was like dude this dude does i don't I don't even want to know what he does to, like, have this level of energy at all times. I don't either. <laughs> I think, like, look, the team's pretty boring, but I think in terms of teams to cover as a beat writer, that one might be pretty fun. Yeah, it has, like, a pretty big beat coverage going for it, so, yeah, I mean, he, like, he gives them fodder for it. Yeah, they're just, like, tucked away up there in, like, the, <laughs> in, like, the Pacific Northwest, just kind of doing their own thing. Literally any story could come from that, from that beat, and I would believe it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so can you just... Um, Give us a little bit of background on kind of how you uh, kind of got into sports writing, especially um, at like Deadspin, the sort of stuff that you cover, um, your uh, your personal history kind of up to this point. Um, yeah, so I kind of got into sports writing by accident. Um, in early 2014, when I was still living in San Francisco, BuzzFeed at the time had a sports desk with like four or five people. And... They were hiring for an intern to cover the intersection of women's issues and sports. And this was like pre-Ray Rice, like pre-everything with the NFL kind of blew up this conversation. And so I applied for that. I didn't have any previous formal writing experience. And I mean, I'm going to say that I assume the pool of candidates were probably pretty slim. And so I got the internship and then on... My second day, the editor who hired me was fired and the desk was dissolved. So, <laughs> oh, God. It's the sports most, like, journalism. God, yeah, that's the it. most sports journalism story. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, so I was an intern there and then I went to Vice when Vice Sports was starting up. But then, you know, after the Ray Rice stuff and BuzzFeed didn't have a sports desk, my former editor, Lisa Tazi, called me and she was like, hey, so the people on our breaking news desk are tired of writing about sports, so do you want to have lunch? <laughs> she's a Mets fan, so like, you know, and I had already worked with her, so like we went and we got coffee and we talked about the job for like five to seven minutes, and <laughs> yeah, I guess that would have been 2014, and she was like, goddamn Mets, and then that was it. <laughs> um, uh, 2014 was such a goddamn Mets year. Yeah, she's... She's pretty chill. Um, and then, yeah, last year, Deadspin was just hiring a couple of positions. And 
I was kind of just listless at BuzzFeed because it was just kind of a weird place to do sports because it's just really hard to be the only person covering sports. And obviously, Deadspin has always kind of been the dream job. So I applied, ran with it. I kind of applied on a whim because I was like, you know, whatever. I wrote my like application memo on a mega bus to D.C. <laughs> um, and then I didn't hear anything for like a month, which is very like classic Deadspin. And then it's like uh, the most relatable thing for us right now, like end of the semester, or, like yeah. coming up on applications and stuff. Yeah, it was kind of just like, you know, I don't know really you know now being at deadspin i see that like for every like staff writer gig there are like hundreds of applicants and i kind of figured that at the time so i was just like you know typing on my phone or whatever and i was like <laughs> blah 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 i think the range of coverage should look like a i don't know what i said something like an ichiro spray chart or something like that yeah. i was just like trying to be clever <laughs> but you know it, it worked and there's just a lot of flexibility and freedom and a lot of shenanigans so um, this year specifically, it was kind of a crazy year. You know, the World Series was like, uh, like um, borderline not baseball at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Otani stuff, obviously, in the stand trade, which we were just talking about, the just like the breakdown of the Marlins, Jeter selling everyone off, and the abysmal Mets, of course, like being in New York. How is this year like compared to the last couple of years of you just being at Deadspin or or even back to Buzzfeed? Like in terms of baseball wise, how, where would you rank this year? I would say for me as a Giants fan, it sucked. For me as a baseball <laughs> fan, it was, you know, it was really fantastic. There were just so many interesting teams. Obviously, I never want the Dodgers to win anything, but there are a few teams that I can remember having as much fun watching as, you know, this Dodgers team. So, you know, there was always something interesting and crazy to write about. So, not bad. You as a Giants fan coming off like, three World Series wins in, like, the last six <laughs> yeah. years or whatever was, like, ugh, this year, man, I can't deal with it. Yeah, I mean, like, Giants fans are so, we're all pretty whiny. Um, <laughs> I'm an A's fan, so, like, oh God. I know. Yeah. Oh, God, A's fans hate me. A's <laughs> fans hate me because, like, half of my family, you know, they're all, like, A's fans, and so I've, like, tried writing about the A's a few times and been, like, you know, basically judging it off of, like, what, my relatives say on yeah. Facebook and stuff. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's tough being an A's fan. And they just all want to like burn me at the stake. Yeah. Are you so. from the Bay Area? Like originally, like that's where you grew up? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Like first, you know, half of my life in the Bay Area, then in Iowa. And then I went back. Okay. So I'm from nowhere in particular, I guess. That's baseball roots, though. Yeah. Iowa, yeah. Field yeah, of Dreams, true. that kind of stuff. And I like used to, <laughs> my family used to go like, it's like, I think like a pumpkin patch out there or something. So, yeah. <laughs> so did you like grow up a Giants fan then? I mean, not really. Like my extended family, they're all really dedicated baseball fans. But, you know, my my mom's not into sports, but my dad was mostly just a 49ers fan. I didn't get into baseball until I was a teenager. Got it. How do you handle like the divisiveness of being a Giants fan at a place like BuzzFeed and just like on Twitter and social media because like BuzzFeed is just known for trolling people a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I imagine that you probably get it back a lot. So how do you take that or handle that or like use that for content? Well, I mean, I didn't because the news, the news arm at BuzzFeed is very actually pretty traditional. It's like more traditional than I think most people would expect, but the editors running things there all come from very traditional backgrounds. So I didn't really like, 
have much to say about the Giants, honestly. It's more now at Deadspin when I'm encouraged to write about the Giants and stuff that kind of, you know, like I said, A's fans hate me. <laughs> Giants fans are very finicky. So so then as a Giants fan, how do you feel that um, there were there were all the rumors swirling that like the Giants were one of, you know, Stanton's finalists mm-hmm. and then and then he ruled them out. And people were like, okay, well, maybe this is a better shot for them to get Otani. And now here we are on, like, December 10th, and he is on – neither of them are on the Giants. I don't think anyone's happy about this. <laughs> no, they're like, they're, like, best prospect for the outfield is, like, Lorenzo Cain. I'm, like, not actually sure if they're actually going to have three players in the outfield next season. <laughs> just play two outfielders. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they have. I sort of feel that way about the Mets also. Like, yeah. the Lorenzo Cain stuff has been, like, three years running with them. Like, or, like, I guess two years since they lost in the World Series. It's like, oh, we could get him in a couple of years. I'm just like, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I didn't really buy into, mu- into it too much because it's a very, you know, the Otani thing would have been great and a little bit more natural than the Stanton thing. It's just not a very Giants thing to do. Um, I didn't think Stanton made sense with the Giants, really. I thought it would really be a waste of his ability like the team's the team is not one player away from contending they're in like a bottlenecked division it's a pitcher's park and he's very expensive their payroll situation is just out of control I mean I just didn't think as a Giants fan and as a person who really loves watching John Carlos Stan I didn't think it was a good idea obviously I did not want him to go to the Dodgers and him being on the Yankees is kind of boring like too perfect to be true (laughs) yeah but it's like i live in new york so now i can just see him play all the time like that's my silver lining the otani thing i think kind of the same thing i think it would have been really interesting to see how the giants would use him because they have basically no pitching and no outfielders and no power hitting so (laughs) he probably would have gotten the well-rounded playing experience that I (laughs) you know that I don't know that he'll get with the Angels but again it's like this this Giants team and this Giants situation is just too shitty for me to feel good about good players getting sucked into it like (laughs) like honestly like I just think the situation is just really messed up and you know of course if they had gotten both of Otani and Stan they maybe could have been contenders sometime in the future but they didn't, and I think it's probably better that way. Uh, speaking of being like one player away from contention, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on the whole Otani thing and to the Angels, because um, we've talked a little bit about like how much is he really going to move the needle for a team that has been like middling for so long, right? And it's been like Mike Trout and everyone else, right? And yeah. now it's Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. And right. everyone else, right? So what are your just kind of quick reactions on that, um, on how this changes things at all for them? It's like Mike Trout, a lot of Tommy John surgeries. Yes. And CJ Cron. Yeah. <laughs> and and Albert Pujols' perpetual negative oh war. <laughs> Jared Weaver throwing yeah. like 72 miles an really, hour. Looking really sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, they have Trout. They now have Otani. And kind of like I said with the Giants, like, Otani's great because he can kind of do double duty and kind of free them up, free up their resources elsewhere. Um, they got Kevin Maitan, Maitan, yeah, through the Braves thing. I don't know, like if they, 
if they do a little bit more, I could see them contending in a couple years. And I think, you know, if I had to choose like a, a manager pairing with Shohei Otani, I would not have chosen Mike Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's kind of bumming me out. If but... you had to choose a manager pairing with any player, would you choose Mike Scotia? No, no, maybe Jared Weaver. <laughs> like, maybe this is just like, this is just the perfect like pit of hell in Anaheim. Do you think Mike Scotia has ever been on Twitter.com? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I don't know. I think I don't really know what to expect from Otani. I think what's really interesting is what this might do to the Mike Trout free agent situation in a few years. To me, that's like, I think my biggest takeaway from the like Otani and Stanton stuff is that now it changes up the Bryce Harper trajectory and it may change up the Mike Trout trajectory. Um, so that's something I'm kind of looking forward to. So you're saying the A's are still in contention for Mike Trout then? Hey man, they might be. <laughs> Bryce Harper. <laughs> might be. They could get both. Bryce Harper, I hear, is just dying to play in the Coliseum. Yeah. <laughs> Who isn't at this point? Um, or dying from playing in the Coliseum is more accurate. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess, though, like, Otani, like, on a skill and talent level, we were sort of going back and forth with this yesterday because I was listening to Effectively Wild, and they were talking about who is the who is the worst good player that you would trade for him at this point hmm. if that makes sense uh, and ben said that he would be willing to trade like aaron judge or like Corey kluber for otani at this point and i know like the team control is really important and the price is really important but on like a pure talent level i i just like are we sort of overreacting to this i mean he still is a prospect in theory right i don't really know that's you know i've talked about this with a bunch of people i work with and I am realizing that I'm super lame because I want the Angels or whatever team would would have otherwise gotten him to be pretty conservative with him. Like it's just I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to see him maxing out because to me it just doesn't make any sense. You know. Um. So I want to shift gears a little bit to a story you wrote. Uh, like about a month or so ago mm-hmm. <laughs> about we all shift position in yes, exactly <laughs> adjust the collar a little bit about this teenage girl right who um was basically posing as an uh, online sports writer um as a man a like a married man who wrote for places like baseball prospectus and and like beyond the box score i think mm-hmm. And really duped a lot of people, and there was like a lot of abuse involved. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, mm-hmm. what goes into like reporting that sort of story, especially in terms of like building trust with the people who you were like speaking to with that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the general gist is that it's this, I think she's 21 now, and um, you know, young woman in the Midwest who, when she was 13 or 14, wanted friends online and was really interested in baseball and hockey and thought no one would take her seriously as a 13-year-old girl and just kind of assumed this strange male persona and was just catfishing women along the way because she kind of absorbed this really twisted but not all that uncommon perception of masculinity and how masculinity manifests kind of against vulnerable women and the whole thing was just really depressing she at the end of the day she kind of just thought she couldn't write about baseball as a girl as a woman and then 
by the time she got to the point where sites like Beyond the Box Score and BP have been act- like actively looking for women, she had already been into this for so into this persona for so long that she would have to start over. So the whole thing kind of can't fell apart for her when after one like particularly abusive tirade, if I remember correctly, um, a few people on Twitter decided that they should find quote Ryan's wife who Ryan had talked about um, just to offer support to this woman and then they started looking into it on Facebook and realized that things didn't match up. The reporting process was really I would say a unique experience. Um, I was in Spanish class at the 92nd Street Y and I got out and I had like 15 text messages from people being like are you seeing this? I was like, I don't know how the hell to catch up on this. So I'm like in a cab on my way down the west side with, I'm like the youngest person in my Spanish class by like 20, 25 years. Um, And I start reporting this. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of the people involved are people I've either known through the Internet or known in real life or have just kind of had tangential Internet acquaintances or have have been Twitter acquaintances with and they just opened up like you know it was it was fortuitous that it was kind of a base that I was already familiar with I don't think they trusted many other people and that's kind of why I other than it being a wild story that's why I wanted to do it anyway because I kind of figure I could just like see it playing out where you know I don't mean to generalize but you know, some man in sports media would see it not as like a really nuanced and sad situation, especially the element where she just thought she couldn't write about baseball, but just like this really salacious thing. And so I just spent the rest of the night reporting. I started writing a draft at like 2 a.m. and I finished up some more reporting the next morning and finished the draft and filed by 1130 so it was a quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've like never done anything like that, and I don't really expect to ever again. I was gonna just follow up on one thing you said there was like that. I felt the story was like really balanced and nuanced, and the the tone of it was like sad, and that was important to it. I wanted to ask you like in your in the like writing process of it, like how do you go about trying to keep that tone? Because just I'm sure your reporting is bearing out the fact that like there are real people involved in this. And mm-hmm. I think you even like say that at the end of like the opening section, like the most of all, there are real women who have been genuinely hurt by their interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, how do you through reporting and pulling quotes and, and that kind of thing, how do you keep that balanced tone throughout the whole thing and, and not let it drift into the like either confusing or salacious side of the story? I think the people who spoke to me for the story really shaped that, or I guess made it very kind of, easy to do that because some were genuinely just really shaken up and really hurt and confused and the people who figured out that Ryan was not real are generally very empathetic people and they saw the situation as being a very sad one and a couple of the people had been even in contact with Becca um, through the night and I didn't have anyone who I was talking to telling me, like, burn down this woman's life. Um, It just made it really easy and kind of 
because people were so open with me and everyone kind of everything was kind of consistent it honestly like for like features I am just like a messy disorganized writer and I can't really like visualize how things go together and you know just the way everyone's stories kind of seemed to weave together I was able it was pretty simple to just kind of stack it like this and kind of let their perception of it um, go throughout it. Panning out from this story a little bit um, as you mentioned right it's it seems very likely that she didn't feel like she would be able to have these same opportunities mm-hmm. if she was a man, right? And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on what the benefits and the drawbacks are of the way that like online sports media is structured today in that a lot of it is very anonymous and it's really decentralized. And so while it opens up, I think, a lot more opportunities for people um, like Becca and, uh, you know, a bunch of people who have gotten their start through sites like SB Nation or whatever it is, it also seems to kind of open up these pathways for abuse, whether it's a situation like this or, you know, sites. I know Deadspin has done a lot of writing about how SB Nation does not pay its writers, a lot of its contributing writers, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on the implications of where this sort of online industry is headed. I think after this... Um, a lot of outlets will be a lot more careful with vetting. I just don't think anyone really expected that this could be the case. And that's, you know, the people who I spoke to who had worked with Becca, you know, they were like, some things just seemed a little bit weird and off, but I just, (laughs) I never expected that this would, that this would be the situation. Um, I think it's hard because the money just isn't really there in online sports writing. And a lot of people do it kind of as a hobby, as a passion, and they can't use their real names or identities. You know, you have, you know, Drew McGarry started out as Big Daddy Drew. <laughs> like, um, it's so on brand. <laughs> oh, it's just so perfect. I think it's just kind of the nature of it, I think. And I think not paying people makes it a lot easier to go without verifying any information, but I think the thing that's really that really bums me out with SB Nation, and I haven't been the one writing those stories, and you know I have my own thoughts on how SB Nation operates, but it's just really like a high wire act for SB Nation because some rando, you know, on a team site writes something crazy, and SB Nation, the brand, is liable for it, but they had no, you know, at least the core of the company and of the site. They weren't involved in that. And I think it just becomes this really wild thing where you just have this like set of like, what is it, something like 300 team sites and you just yeah. have to trust that everyone is, you know, doing the best they can. And I think that SB Nation is far from the only company in that position. But it is something I think about like every time, you know, Rev Halo fan or whatever <laughs> that like racist lunatic guy is like... <laughs> You know, this this reflects poorly on the company. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to pin out even further, just in sort of shifting off of this more <laughs> depressing tone that we've taken up a little bit. And just talking about, like, in a more general sense with, or a more specific sense with Deadspin, why do you think baseball does well and, like, is big at a place like Deadspin? Whereas, like, I feel like a lot of places are sort of moving away from that kind of baseball coverage and focusing mm-hmm. more on basketball because it's, like, such a young, hip, trendy, quote-unquote, sport. Yeah. Um, but what about what do you think about Deadspin makes it somewhere that like baseball content thrives in the way that it does? And you guys write about it so often. 
Well, my editor-in-chief, Tim Marchman, is a huge baseball fan. For some reason, he's a White Sox fan, but he has all of these, like, really nerdy, like, passionate ideas that he kind of throws at us and is like, please write about this. Um, our managing editor, Tom Lay, is a Rockies fan, and he's a big baseball nerd, too. He's been obsessed with Otani for a year, two years at this point. Some of those Otani hipsters. Um, yeah, he is. You know, I remember him like putting something in Slack and being like, look at this big home run. And I was like, I don't know who the hell this guy is, you know? And now I'm like looking through our Otani coverage and it's just like going back like a year and a half, like four posts from Tom Lay. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing about Deadspin is they really, like my editors really just like want us to write about what we're interested in and what we like. And there's just a lot of range and flexibility. And, you know, I think the NBA is really cool and fun. And I get why, I guess, more traditional sites, like that's a great, like awesome audience. Um, but baseball has its share of like weird, wacky shit too. I think like more weird shit happens in baseball than any other sport. Like probably something involving like, you know, Denard Spann and his fear of birds playing in San Francisco where the seagulls swoop in every seventh inning. Like, like you know, the, shit, shit like that is yeah, like uniquely yeah. baseball. Or like Max Scherzer just looking like a serial killer yeah. on the mound. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like Pat Neshek and his autograph collection. Right. Yeah. Like baseball players, like the game is so stupid and baseball players can be such idiots that it's like, it's like the perfect deadspin thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that like definitely resonates with like what we try to do on this podcast is just like find the weirdest stuff that we can and talk about it, and it like definitely feels more natural. And I think that's why it sort of works at a at a blog like Deadspin, just because it's very much in that like corner of the internet that's like weird and fun, but also kind of makes sense in the mainstream if you think about it. So, yeah, baseball is like that sport where my friends who don't like baseball will like see something Deadspin posts and it's like, what the hell is wrong with this sport? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you have 30 teams playing 162 games throughout three different seasons. Like shit is going to get really weird. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the only reason we were able to make this podcast at all. It's like I open up Deadspin first thing. I'm like, what have they written about in the last week that we can talk about? It's essentially like our prep for this podcast is just us uh, direct messaging tweets that we see that just like end up in Deadspin blog yeah. posts. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of a little more weird stuff, mm -hmm. I guess we're bringing it back a little bit, but uh, let's talk about the Marlins because the Marlins are are kind of a dumpster fire right now. Um, and you I believe I called them the least or like the most disorganized franchise in all of sports last week. Yeah. So. They're um, getting there for yeah. sure. They're definitely throwing their hat in there with the Browns. The Mets are just like cruising under the radar <laughs> right now. <laughs> Imagine like being the Mets and not even being the most dysfunctional franchise in your division. <laughs> you know that like after taking Stan's contract off of the books, I think the Mets might have like a slightly higher payroll than the Mar than the Marlins or they're just right behind them. Yeah. Like, that's wild. Like, that really, like, calibrated my sense of what the hell is going on in <laughs> Miami. <laughs> yeah. They They're trying like, to get down to, like, $55 million, I read dude, somewhere yesterday. Yeah, something absurd. Unreal. That's, yeah. like, not even double what Clayton Kershaw makes yeah. by himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. You wrote 
a story like a, a week or two ago about them laying off the Marlins scout mm-hmm. who was like hospitalized, oh which just felt kind of emblematic as to like, <laughs> not that they like just uh, treat our employees terribly, but like it's been a weird couple months with them. And yeah. Derek Jeter has basically taken all of the shit for it, which mm-hmm. is not even the most deserved thing for him. Because right. like he's not sitting there at his desk being like, hmm, this guy has cancers in the hospital, get rid of him, like right. off the books. Yeah, he's not NYU. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but what are your just kind of reactions? And as someone who like writes about this sort of thing, how do you, I don't know, keep up with it? I mean, is it, can you even wrap your head around it? No, it's like really confusing because it's like you have this like stupid rich guy owner who, you know, is kind of no one no one cares about Bruce Sherman. But then you've got Jeter, who obviously doesn't know what he's doing. You have Michael Hill still there. And then the first major, major move that they make is just this like totally bungled thing where they kind of lost leverage in the process. It's just it depresses me. And thinking about that, like 55 million target i think they're at like 71 72 million and it's like (laughs) they're not they're not it's not just that they're going to get rid of whatever semi-expensive guys they might have they're also going to get rid of fairly cheap guys like marcelo zuna and christian yelich and it's like marlins fans have been like beaten down pretty damn hard i don't really like if i were a marlin season ticket holder i would just like throw them in the trash refuse to pay like is that a thing marlin no. season ticket holder there's got to be some out there like a hundred <laughs> yeah, we probably like we probably get like all of them on the podcast that's how few there are <laughs> a round table <laughs> yeah i was writing something about like right i think after the sale officially closed i wrote something about like Derek cheater has the keys to the marlins now what and i I wanted to hear from some Marlins fans. I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm I'm interested in this team because it's always a circus. But, like, how is it to be a Marlins fan? What are you thinking? And I, like, put a call out on Twitter. And I was like, hey, Marlins fans, can you, like, send me a DM? And I heard from, like, five people. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> They're all very smart and nice and, like, you know, helped me really understand it. But it's like. You know, I'm like, hey, DM me your Animal Crossing player ID, and it's like 30 <laughs> DMs, and it's like, hey, Marlins fans, and it's like a handful of people. <laughs> yeah, the market share there is so small. Yeah, and that, that's what happens when you're 400 million dollars in debt, I guess, yeah. and you have a billion dollars from the city to build a stadium. I just really can't believe it. Like, I really, you know, maybe they'll pull it together. Maybe they'll pull off like a teardown rebuild and in five years when they're like the Astros will all be like wow I can't believe we dared to take Derek Jeter's name in vain but (laughs) you know there's real potential this could just be a total shit show and it's like the first really black mark on Rob Manfred's time as the commissioner like this could be one of those things that gets like the bold-headed wikipedia entry for him (laughs) (laughs) i mean does anyone know that like Derek jeter has any experience being a a ceo i mean that's like his role with the team i would understand if he was like i don't know maybe president of baseball operations or something like that but like it seems like they're sort of at least blaming him for all of these like financial decisions and i'm sure Derek jeter is like mega rich but is he like has he ever run a company i saw i saw some tweet the other day that was like he traded for these two prospects because he think they have like a great opportunity to be like deputy editor for the Players Tribune or something like that. Like that's it. Really, really cheap labor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Join the online sports writing like underpaid economy. <laughs> he just starts pulling Marlins players into like SB Nation's Marlins blogs. You know what's so crazy to me is that 
A-Rod would be a much better person in Jeter's position. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, A-Rod could probably do this. He's yeah, like he a, a -Rod big nerd. Yeah. yeah. He's like business A-Rod. Yeah, he's a total nerd. He's an absolute so baseball nerdy. geek. Yeah. Oh, they're like, no, they're like yin and yang, the two of them. They're like very opposite. But like somehow when you put them down in the same seat together, like that weird interview where that guy refused to stop asking about like the uh, Grammys or like Emmys uh, or something? Would, yeah, just about their like feud. And yeah. they were like, that was like 15 years ago. What are you <laughs> talking about? But anyway, yeah, the Marlins is sort of a weird thing because like I get that they're trying to like cut payroll. But like you said, like Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich, young players, they don't cost a lot like theoretically those are the players you should be building around or at least like will draw fans in the meantime while you're trying to do a Astros rebuild like they're your Altuve and Correa in theory yeah that's what I think too but I just you know like if those guys go it's like I don't I've never run a business I don't really get the economics of it but like if they get rid of those guys and really just slash things like what is there to watch yeah I mean, as an A's fan, like, what do you think? <laughs> like... Wow, shade. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I will have you know I'm very optimistic for okay, next cool. year. Wait, no, do it. Do the spiel. I'm not, I can't no, go No, you got to do it. No, they're young. They're fun. They're fun to watch at the very least. The sleeper pick. They are my sleeper pick for 2018. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. At the end of 2014, I was like, next year, Mets year. 2015, they're going to win 90 games. They're going to win the division. And they won 90 games, and they won the division, and then they melted down in the World Series. So is that what you want? Like, <laughs> I don't know if that would be better or worse than last place. Like, frankly, I don't know if it's better to have, like, zero expectations or to, like, come close and then just fail spectacularly. For I wrote for the paper after um, the student newspaper after they lost in the World Series. I was like, no, it was definitely worth it. Like, this run made me re-believe and all that stuff. And now, like, I sort of don't feel that way anymore. It's sort of like a, it's still a gray area whether I feel it was a good thing or a bad thing to melt down to the fucking Royals. <laughs> of all teams, the Royals. <laughs> do you have... Royals, right? Yeah, man. Do you have a specific team that, not necessarily that you have a rivalry with as a Giants fan, but just, like, throughout all of baseball that you just, like, can't stand any of their players for some reason? any of their players well or just like at the organization in general just sort of pisses you off or rubs you the wrong way the indians the indians <laughs> it's like they have so many good fun players and i can't bring myself to watch their games it just <laughs> like i just you know like when with last year's like playoffs with al teams like the indians like align with my interest pretty well like they would be a good candidate for me to be like cool you know i'll support this team and i just, i can't do it like it's just like it's like it's like two magnets. You know, it's like it's like the Indians get good and it's just like like they repel off of me. I don't I don't get it. I would love to like them. I think like I felt that way. Well, this is like not a random team. I'm a Mets fan and I mm -hmm. felt that way about the Yankees, the 2017 Yankees. But like I loved every single one of their players individually pretty much and I just like could not get myself to get behind them in any way shape or form. Not even like a let's do it for the city. Like it'll be fun mm -hmm. to see the city during a Yankees World Series, you know, like nope. Didn't feel that way at all. I was like, please lose immediately. I hated it when they came back against the Indians. It was terrible. And now I sort of feel like them getting Stanton is karmic justice for us being like, the 2017 Yankees were fun, you know? On the 2017 Giants, I liked like two and a half players. And then I basically loved every player on the Dodgers. And I was like, cool, this is like my hell. Just switch jerseys. <laughs> like, I love all of those players. And I was like, I... They're so likable. They Even are. Like, they're fun. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Giants player of all time? Or like a 
a one one A kind of situation? I mean, I think Buster Posey has earned a place in like the bedrock of my existence. I feel that way about David, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would say that however there is like I can't imagine liking a baseball player more than Tim Lincecum. Yeah, same. You know, it's like, I don't think I'll ever, like, feel that excitement about a player again. Yeah, it's like that electricity, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much promise. We uh, we talked a, a few, yeah, a few episodes ago, we talked about, there was a story in, like, the San Francisco Chronicle about mm-hmm. how he had just, like, disappeared, right? Yeah. And it was the most bizarre story because they talked to, like, players and, like, mm-hmm. coaches and stuff, and all of them were like, yeah, I'm sure he's fine, but, like, he's just, he hasn't returned our calls. And it yeah. was, like... I felt for him, but at the same time, I don't really know. It seems like maybe this is what he wants, right? He is just kind of, he would rather be out of the spotlight, maybe. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Um, the but writer, even, like, went to his house. Yeah. And like, yeah. I was like, well, that's a little bit too far, yeah. but in my opinion. But still, a cool story. Yeah, even as an A's fan, I was like, I can't dislike you. Like, yeah. you are you are the freak, right? Right. Um, what, are the, what are the percentage chances that he's just, like, living on a commune, just enjoying his life? Like, getting getting <laughs> so, high? Yeah, like, I would say pretty high. Like, I mean, that's, I think, what I've always liked about Timmy because he is the player that I've felt that, you know, if he had taken a slightly divergent path, we probably would have wound up at a house party together. Like... <laughs> You know, it's like I look at a guy like Mike Trout and I'm like, what do I have in common with Mike Trout? I look at a guy like Tim Linscom and I'm like, cool, like a super underachiever. Like, what don't loser. I have in common like, with? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's really hard, hard to find. And like a professional athlete. Yeah. yeah. He always did seem really relatable. Like he sort of hated like all the spotlight that was thrust on him. Like, he can't really go anywhere in the San Francisco area without everyone noticing him because he's, like, this wiry, long-haired, really recognizable, like, pale-as-a-ghost kind of guy. Yeah. So. Yeah, he went against the mole. And after, like, the backlash when when it came out that he was, like, smoking weed or whatever, mm-hmm. I was like, I only like you more now. <laughs> right. Like, you are, you are every, like, 21-year-old who, like, right. is watching you right now. <laughs> I remember after the 2014, the day after the 2012 World Series, I was, like, shopping or something, and I think I was, like, walking through Bloomingdale's. I think I was, like, going to get some makeup or whatever, and I walked through the shoe department, and Tim Lincecum was sitting there the (laughs) day after they got back from Detroit. (laughs) And he, like, had, like, I think he was wearing, like, a Bape hoodie, and it was, like, up over his head, and I was, like, dog, I could could recognize you anywhere. And the thing I remember is, like, you know, obviously I didn't say anything. Like, I'm going to give the guy his piece. But I, what I remember is that he was wearing the newest looking jeans I've ever seen. <laughs> it was like he had just taken the like size sticker off of them. It was like his shoes were really new. His jeans were really new. I was like, wow, you are so lame. <laughs> 2012 World Series, big spender after yeah, that. Yeah, like, like Tim was like, go I'm going to go clothes shopping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to buy a new pair of sneakers. <laughs> That's literally I me. just thought it was so weird. I was yeah. like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you like? What do you say? I've always thought about, like, because Matt Harvey lives, like, in the East Village, right? And before Mm -hmm. he sort of had his spiral to hell, like, our freshman year, Alex and I would talk about, like, what would happen if we bumped into him, like, on our way to class? Or, like, what would I say if I was, like, getting a bagel next to him, like, (laughs) at Bagel Bob's or something like that? And, like, I just, I don't know what to say. You don't say, like, thank you, because, like, that's not what they're asking for. But also you want to be, like, 
you're an icon to my team. Like, but it's sort of a weird relationship. I feel like it's so different with a guy like Lincecum versus Harvey. Like, I would be like, "Fuck off, dude." I would, (laughs) I would just be intimidated. I'm like, I, I don't even really know if I want to meet you. Like, like, don't shatter any of the remaining shred of like belief (laughs) I have in you. (laughs) I feel like Lincecum though is just like you could be at warped tour with him. Totally, (laughs) totally. Yeah, I feel like I would. I feel like I would give Matt Harvey like a semi-enthusiastic thumbs up if I were a Mets fan. <laughs> like maybe the thumbs up would be a little bit more forceful like a couple of seasons ago, but you know, like give the guy his peace, but also Yeah. Hope. Or like the head nod. There's a little, yeah. A little, yeah. There's a little so, sarcasm in there yeah. too that you're just like, yeah, great going. Especially right. if you were Good like job. <laughs> true. Especially if you were like getting a bagel or something, or like coffee or something, you, like you're both probably extremely hungover and <laughs> you're like running into him you're like yeah <laughs> right like as we're talking about this all i'm picturing is like matt harvey's double chin and like just like <laughs> three days unshaven just like eyes like drooping down yeah. to his chin i'll like never him. forget like when the year after he came back from tommy john he was like i feel like the reason that i got hurt was that i had lost too much weight and i was like putting too much arm into my throwing motion so he had like gained weight back and by doing that, he just came back looking like dad bod Matt <laughs> <Yeah>. Hardy. <laughs> and I was like, is this really science? Or is this just like you didn't want to run in the off season? <laughs> the yeah. thing that really like I find really funny is that like, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had like true playboys on the Yankees. And you had like these like guys who could be like New York celebrities and like now... Matt Harvey is supposed to be like <laughs> the hot guy who plays in New York. Yeah. Like that's where the standard is yeah. now. And part of it is that dad bod too. It's we look yeah. at him and we're like, sure, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it's I mean, like don't it, get me wrong, I love him, but right. like, like at one point you would like go to One Oak and see like a Rod, you yeah. know, and you're like, like oh G- wow, yeah, Jeter, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I guess you probably like, wouldn't run into Jeter at like sketchy clubs, but you know, but it's like hot aspirational you know, professional athlete. And now it's like you go to One Oak and you run into Matt Harvey and you're like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, bump shoulders with him in the bathroom I and you're like, like, this is sad. Yeah, yeah, I could be anywhere in Murray Hill right now. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but then also on the Yankee side, there's like Aaron Judge who is just like cute and like really Christian. Yeah, he's and like, like a, living he's like his kid. best life. So yeah. goofy. Yeah. I love him though. At the beginning of the year when they had that like, there was like that, I think it was like their first game and they had the picture of them all lined up on the first baseline, and Aaron Judge just looked like the creative character, where you just like move <laughs> the height all the way up and the muscles all the way up. And I was like, "This is a fun, funny tweet for a day." And then it turned into like the story of the 2017 yeah. season was Aaron Judge. I think he did one of those things on like Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, right, where you go out and like meet New Yorkers. What's the um, difference, honestly? Yeah, what is the difference? <laughs> but like, it was so cute because he would like talk to like the the young or like the elderly woman who like had no idea who he was but was like gushing about Aaron Judge and he like takes the glasses off and she's like oh my god and like Matt Harvey did it and people were like oh dope nice all right cool nice job man this is the difference between the Mets and the Yankees and the Mets like made it this way for themselves based off their behavior in the 80s especially Matt Harvey yeah yeah he's like the logical conclusion of of the Mets' existence. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Sadly. <laughs> well, actually, something that I just said like about how Aaron Judge was sort of like a tweet story at the beginning of the season and then mm-hmm. turned into like a real story reminds me of, like, I wanted to ask you, because I'm always curious with writers how they judge their threshold for what they write versus what they just, like, 
think is they're deep in the weeds and having fun or like Mm -hmm. what they make into a tweet. So like, where is that line for you where you decide to write an actual blog post versus just like make a tweet or like you just see it on Google Trends or and and how does like Deadspin's directive contribute to that? Well, I would say there is no directive. We are ruled mostly by chaos and whims. Um, (laughs) But we are much like the world. (laughs) Yeah, we are hyper collaborative. Like, to an extent that's probably unhealthy. Like, we are all talking to each other pretty much nonstop. You know, I speak to my colleagues more than anyone else, probably. So it's like, you know, I'll have a thought about Aaron Judge, and then four people are like, no, you're an idiot. And then, like, (laughs) two other people get behind me and are like, you guys are idiots. And so it just, you know, it's kind of like, you kind of just, like, sift it out. And But they've never stopped me from, like, doing something that I find like that is like truly nerdy um you know they really kind of encourage that but one of the most one of the most one of the times I was the most frustrated over the season during the season in the morning was mm, somewhere before the July 31st deadline and I was like well guys I think today's the day I'm gonna write the well, I guess Justin Verlander's shot at a ring is over because, like, <laughs> nobody was interested in him. Like, you know, teams were talking about his salary, and I was like, well, I guess this is it. And one of my editors was like, yeah, I think we should wait. And I was like, yeah, but, like, you know, what's the deal? And they were like, no, you should wait. And I was like, okay, whatever. Screw these guys. <laughs> and then, like, after the World Series, I was like, hey – so thanks for not letting me write that. <laughs> like this would have been you from old takes exposed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes they make my takes worse. Sometimes they save me from my worst takes. So it kind of all just shakes out, and it really depends on who's online during the day, who's interested in what during the day. Well, I think that I can just say that even though we all have our uh, different backgrounds and allegiances, I can appreciate that. Uh, Deadspin always writes about when the Cardinals lose because I think that that's my favorite my favorite kind of beat coverage. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think that just about wraps it up. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming down here and, and chatting with us. Yeah, this was I know awesome. we had a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. It was fun. Big thanks to Lindsay for coming on and doing that. I know that I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's cool to have someone, well, one in the studio just so that we can sort of like have a back and forth and talk about like that writing process, especially at a place like Deadspin, which is, I don't want to say like, well, actually I do want to say, it's just like inspiration for this podcast a lot of the time. Yeah. And I know we mentioned that a little bit in the interview, but like so many of the stories that we're reading from are you know, Deadspin or sometimes SP Nation and writers like Grant Brisby. And she's sort of, she's in that circle for sure. Yeah, that that kind of goofy, um, not take yourself too seriously with this whole thing because we understand how dumb it all is. So let's just marvel in it. Like <laughs> that feels like it's, that's kind of the uh, the voice. And that's what, certainly what I think we aspire to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we know that this is dumb. Trust us. Like, 
Um, we also know that this specific episode is really long. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> so major props to you if you made it through all this. Yeah. If, if you didn't, I hope you at least listened to the entirety of the interview with Lindsay because um, it was fun to do. And we thank her a lot for that. Yeah. And it's it's nice to talk to a, a Giants fan who like... <laughs> and can, remain can, cordial. <laughs> and remain cordial and like can understand the... Uh, like the uh, the dynamics there. Yeah, she ribbed you only a little bit. So, yeah, only a little bit. Which is fair. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, and I I tried to shy away from talking too much about the 2018 Giants because for once I think the A's are going to be better. So uh, sleeper pick. Yeah, sleeper pick. <laughs> God, I can't. I I don't even want to imagine what the trades are going to be this winter meetings. Yeah, um, I'm glad we got all of this stuff out of the way earlier. Um, and we can go back to our usual, we have nothing to talk yeah, about. Our regularly scheduled pro- programming. Uh, so this was a boring week. <laughs> <laughs> um, we still do have some exciting interviews and ideas coming up over this holiday season. So stay tuned. Please, as always, rate, review us on iTunes, send us emails, talk to us. We're uh, hunkering down for final season. So we will really appreciate any reprieve from that and any um, conversation that's not about our thesis. my thesis but yeah anything left to add alex not really i guess stay warm out there because it's freezing out here in new york yeah it snowed on us yesterday yeah all right well thanks y'all for listening um we hope you enjoyed it and we'll be talking to you next time yeah see you next week (laughs) 